I invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 1, first chapter in John's Gospel. We're going to focus in on the 14th verse today, the 14th verse. You know, every day there are collisions that take place. Sometimes everybody walks away unhurt, other times it ends in tragedy. One thing for sure though, if you've ever been involved in a collision, you have that image indelibly imprinted in your mind. I got to thinking about that this week and I reflected back over all the different collisions that I've had in my lifetime, more than I want to admit. There were three times I was sighted. Two of those three, they were thrown out. So I only had one that I had to deal with. There was only one where somebody was hurt. And I'm thankful that he wasn't hurt bad, but he was hurt. And the majority of them were not my fault. I'm thankful for that too. Because it's, you don't like the idea of being at fault in a collision. But John 1.14 is one of the most startling verses in the Bible. It describes another collision. We could call it a Christmas collision. Word for word, I can't think of a better explanation of what happened away in the manger in the little town of Bethlehem than this. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Bow with me today. Father, as we reflect upon this verse today, I pray that it will help each one of us to understand the true meaning of Christmas even clearer than we ever have before. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. But impress the wonderful message of Christmas upon each one of us today so that we might know and experience your love and salvation, forgiveness of sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The first collision that I want to call your attention to is the simple one that is obvious here. The collision between deity and humanity. Between God and man. Let me start with a, with a story. I may have told it here times past, I'm not sure, but I I love this story. A grandfather was visiting his grandson one Christmas. And when he walked into the room, he saw the little toddler standing in his playpen, crying his heart out. His face was red and tear-stained. When little Jeffy saw his granddad, he, he lifted up his arms toward him and said, Papa, out, out, Papa, out. Who, what grandfather could resist that? He immediately went over to him, stretched out his arms, started to lift him up, and about that time, law and order walked into the room. She had a dish, dish towel over her shoulder. So now, Jeffy, you know better. You're being punished. Dad, don't you dare lift him out of there. Oh. He didn't know what to do. 
He didn't know what to do. Chephi's tears and outstretched arms were more than he could bear. He couldn't stand to be there with him, with him crying like that and not do anything. And then a thought came to him. And he went over to the playpen and he stepped inside and sat down with him. If that doesn't describe what God did for us, I don't know what does. God identified himself with us, with our humanity. And he got down here and lived with us. The first part of verse 14 says that the word became flesh. This is a, one of the most unique things about Christianity that differentiates it from all other religion. God became flesh. Jesus was the visible word of God who lived in our midst. The one who created all things, according to John 1.1, became a soft baby. That's a staggering thought when you think about it. God entered into the womb of a teenage girl. He identified himself completely with us. Now, he didn't cease to be God when he took on human form. He added manhood to deity. He didn't subtract the deity. He didn't subtract his godhood. He was fully God and fully man. He was the God-man. It was a collision between deity and humanity. Jesus was human in every way as we were yet without sin. The incarnation not only means that that we can understand God better, but it means that he can understand us because he became one of us. The message translation renders it, that first part of verse uh, 14, this way. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I like that thought. He moved into the neighborhood. And he lived in that neighborhood for 33 years. He identified with us. The NIV says that he made his dwelling among us. The words translated there literally mean to make, he made his tent among us. He made his tent. That got me thinking back to times that I had gone uh, camping with my family. We would camp, we would have campers either side of us. We got to know those campers. Our kids wound up playing with one another. You know, in all reality, when you're camping like that, you can't help but know your neighbors. They see everything that you're doing. And you see everything that they're doing. And you wind up talking with one another. To say that Jesus pitched his tent among us implies that he wanted to be on familiar terms with us. He wanted to be close. He wanted to be a neighbor. He wanted to, he wanted to know us. And he wanted us to know him. That's the collision between deity and humanity. That collision is expressed precisely in Jesus. But there's a second collision in this verse. And that is the collision between grace and truth. And it is exhibited perfectly in Jesus. Take a look at the last part of verse 14. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
The Apostle John knew Jesus about as good as anybody did in that day. He was close with him. And when he was groping for words to try to describe him, he said, well, I'll tell you this, he's full of grace and truth. Now, you don't normally see grace and truth alongside one another. One translation put it this way, he is generous inside and out, true from start to finish. But those two concepts are not usually put together because as humans, we tend to err on one side or the other. If we are emphasizing grace, we can be too quick to forgive and we can cut people slack when they shouldn't be cut any slack. On the other hand, if we judge too harshly, then we make forgiveness impossible. Jesus, however, was full of grace and full of truth. Jesus dealt graciously with people that he met, especially those who were reeling from some kind of moral or physical train wreck. Grace is overwhelming. It is overwhelming kindness. It is overwhelming good. It is overwhelming favor. It is something we do not deserve. It is a special kind of tenderness. And he reaches out to us with that. Parents brought children to him. And he didn't push them away. Instead, he blessed them. He spent some time with them. A leper came wanting to be healed. And what did Jesus do? He healed him. He made him clean. There was a woman caught in adultery. She was not condemned by him, but instead was given grace and told to go and sin no more. The disabled, the discouraged, the disenfranchised, the down and outers all grabbed every chance they had to be near him. But he was also full of truth. Jesus personified truth. He he exhibited what true perfection was all about. What full knowledge was all about. What wisdom and excellence was all about. And he was hated for it. He spoke the truth in all that he did. And all that he did was truth. All that he thought was truth. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And because he is full of truth, he spoke truth to all of those that he came and needed to hear it. To the religious people, he reacted, uh, who reacted angrily to this. He was extending grace out to them initially, but they rejected that grace. And he reached the point with them. And he just laid out the hard truth to them. Matthew 23, 33 says, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? You see, he delivered truth to them. They had turned his father's house into a den of thieves. And so he overturned their tables. He reacted angrily toward them. They were rejecting the grace that he was extending out, the forgiveness that he was offering. And so he met them head on with the truth. But listen carefully. With Jesus, you can always count on both truth and grace. He, tell, he will tell you the truth about your life, 
your situation, but at the same time, his grace causes him to stick with you all the way. He doesn't turn his back on you. He hangs in there with you. Jesus loved me enough to spell out my sinfulness. I love what Max Lucado said. Let me quote him. God loves me just the way I am. That's grace. But he loves me too much to let me stay that way. That's truth. Through no merit of my own, he offers incomparable kindness, incomparable forgiveness by sacrificing himself as a penalty for my rebellion. Have you recognized that in your own life? Have you come to the realization that all of those things that you want to call mistakes, all of that sin in your life, even though it may hurt somebody else, the bottom line is, it's sin against God. It is rebellion against God. Because he was full of grace, he was willing to go to the cross and die for you. Because he was full of grace, he was willing to become a little baby to be raised up to be human in every way but without sin but the fact that he was full of truth allowed him to pay for our sins completely he died and he lives at Christmas we're reminded that the word becomes flesh the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We're reminded of that reality. Jesus was the per- has the perfect ability to tell us the awful truth about ourselves, while at the same time holding up his grace. The manger is, is filled with the awesomeness of God's grace. But we are also reminded of the terrible truth that because of our sin, that little baby, we grow up, and would die on a cross for our sin. Because he is full of grace, you can come to him as you are, without having to clean up your life ahead of time. You come to him as you are. You surrender control of your life over to him, and he begins that transformation process in your life. Because he is full of truth, you can come to him with complete confidence, knowing that he will keep his promise to forgive you, and to grant you eternal life. That's grace and truth. Without both working together, we would have neither. He is God in the flesh. There is no conflict in this collision. But there's another collision. That is the collision between self and the Savior. If you look in the 14th verse, it says... We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. John is using the third person pronoun here, we, to show that disciples had the privilege of experiencing the glory of God as it was exhibited in Jesus. The word seen is a rich word, which means to carefully scrutinize. It's more than just scanning. It is examining in order to understand. They had the privilege of seeing Jesus in the flesh, of understanding. We have the privilege through their words 
of seeing Jesus in the flesh and understanding. Today you're invited to consider the Christ of Christmas. I would hope that throughout this week, leading up to Christmas Day, that you would spend a little time each day reflecting upon Jesus and and what he did. That you would study him, yes, as a little babe, recognizing that he is the Savior. His name was Jesus because he was going to save his people from their sin. Reflect upon the fact that he is both God and man. And when you do, you'll find yourself having to come to some conclusions. John became a witness because he allowed himself to be wowed by the incarnation. How about you? My friends, if you can believe in the incarnation, then you'll have no trouble believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. No one ever met the Savior and ever stayed the same. You meet him, you're changed. And so at Christmas time, you are faced with a collision. The collision between yourself and the Savior. What do you see when you look at the Christmas cradle that is portrayed in so many manger scenes? Do you see his glory? Do you see his tenderness and his truth? Do you see the deity in diapers? The real conflict is one that is deeply personal. Some of you have experienced some pretty bad stuff this last year. Some of you may still be reeling from it. There's a tendency in some people to hold Christ at arm's length when they're going through times like that. But others come to the realization that they know that they need to embrace him and let him embrace them. They know that they need to come to the point where they surrender themselves over to the Savior. Don't try dealing with it by yourself. Don't try handling the things that this world throws your way by yourself, the collisions that you have. The message of Christmas is you don't have to any longer, that Jesus is here. He is God in the flesh. He pitched his tent among us so that we can get to know him. And once you know him, he will forever change your life. Don't presume. Don't presume that you will even see tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. We should live differently. Jim Simbala put it this way. The only day we really have is today. Yesterday is gone and we have no guarantee of tomorrow. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the only day when a person can trust Christ to be his or her Savior and Lord. The reality is we all need to make some changes this Christmas. Instead of thinking it's enough to just celebrate the holidays, we must find ways to consecrate them. Consecrate these days. Consecrate our time. Instead of thinking about the madness and the craziness of Christmas, we need to think about its meaning. To let it bring a little calm, a little bit of peace into our lives. Instead of getting on each other's nerves, and I'm sure that's only in my family, not yours. But instead of getting in each other's nerves, we need to get on our knees. And we need to pray for one another. When the pressures of life, health, 
family, or your job situation come crashing in on you? To whom are you going to turn? When you collide with life's telephone poles, those immovable objects, what will you come away with? What will you come away with? Today, let's remember that Jesus is always ready for us to receive him. I don't know what you're going to run into today. I don't know what you've run into already today. Some of you already have, I know. We're going to smack up against some things that aren't going to move. And they're going to shake us up. They may hurt us. But Jesus is deity and humanity wrapped up in one. In him, grace and truth are synthesized so that you and I can submit before him. We can understand why he came. Don't wait. Don't wait another day. But make today the day that you trust him completely and totally. Surrender yourself over to him. He didn't think that he had to hang on to being there in heaven. He was willing to come here to identify himself with us. God showed his approval after he was killed on the cross and buried in the grave. That God raised him from the dead. And he sits today at the right hand of God. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants you to experience his forgiveness, to know his love fully and completely. Turn your life over to him. Make this Christmas be a life-changing Christmas where the true meaning of Christmas really sinks in. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love toward us that was expressed so beautifully in Jesus coming to earth and becoming, taking on human form. We understand that the reason this happened is because there was no way that we could atone for our sin. We can make all the sacrifices in the world and we would still have sin that needed to be accounted for. But Jesus came to provide that once and for all final sacrifice that if we would trust in him and his finished work there on the cross, his finished life work, if we would believe that he was raised from the dead and that he's alive today, that he would forever change our lives as we meet him personally. I pray for each person here this morning, each person that's hearing this message, that they would come to know Jesus in a personal way as their Lord and Savior. Help us to understand the truth about ourselves that we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. But help us to realize that in your grace you've reached out to us and you've offered us the gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done and for what you're going to do in each of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.